You're listening to sermons from Christ the Savior Orthodox Church. We're a small but growing mission of the Orthodox Church in America, currently meeting in Brewer, Maine. We'd love to have you join us for service, but until then, here's Father Scott with this week's sermon. Amen, wisdom, stand upright, let us hear the Holy Gospel. Peace be unto all. According to the evangelist St. Luke. Glory to the Lord. Glory to you. Let us attend. The Lord said this parable There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid in his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, There is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Such a great and powerful gospel today. The Lord speaking this parable about the rich man in torment and Lazarus the bosom of Abraham. And it begs, I think, two of the great questions of life. People ask these questions all the time. Even non-believers ask these questions, and perhaps Christians do too, maybe even more so. The first great question I think that this passage deals with in an abstract way and in a deeper manner is how do we value our life? How do we look at our life? How do you find meaning in your life? How do you evaluate yourself? Do you look at yourself outwardly as you appear to men and all the physical attributes of your life, all the things that you've accumulated, all your possessions perhaps, and the people that you love and that love you? Or do you look at things and see things the way God sees them? 
I honestly believe that as Christians, we miss that. I know I miss it. It's so easy to not see what really matters. To see things as God sees them. Instead, we look like the rich man did on our outward appearance, and we gloat in that. How foolish. Looks can be deceiving. And what really matters, as we see in this parable, is what God thinks of our life. That's where we find meaning. That's where we find value. What God thinks. If God thinks that what we're doing is right and good and just, then we're in a good place. If he doesn't, we're not in a good place, no matter what the world might think and what we might think. It's what God thinks that matters. The second thing that I think this passage deals with in a, in a, in a way that we need to think on a little bit is why does God let sin happen? Why does God allow there to be such inequality, such inequity, such suffering? Why do evil people prosper? Why does the way of the wicked prosper? I think the only way that anyone can find the answer to this question is to set aside this earthly life and to look on the things that are eternal. For it's only in looking beyond what we see and into the darkness of eternity where God is and where the poor man was heading that we find some way to understand this brief life that we live, this moment that we live in the flesh. And so behind this parable, we can find some answers to these great questions. Why do the wicked prosper? Why is there sin? Why is there war? Why is there suffering? And also, how to evaluate our life. And so it was that we have this great parable set before us today. You know, there's one thing it's certainly true. This is that poverty and suffering is not necessarily an impediment to holiness. So often I think we think that the poor people, those that are suffering, are the ones that are cursed by God. Not true. For here we find one who is the poorest of the poor and in misery nonetheless, on top of all that poverty, in physical illness and affliction. And yet we see God blessing him greatly. So poverty is not necessarily an impediment to salvation. And in fact, it may be an accelerant or propellant. It may make us disposed to salvation and to open our hearts to God's word. At the same time, I think it can be clearly said that riches are an impediment to salvation. And the Lord himself said, it's more difficult for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God than the camera to go through the eye of him. And so riches can be a curse. And so you see how we turned everything upside down. What we covet, what you covet sitting in this pew right now is probably earthly prosperity. How many pray for suffering? And yet, in our seeking for riches, we can doom our souls. And in embracing poverty, we can save them. How God turns things, everything upside down, just like in this parable. And so it was that we look at what the Lord has written. So there was a certain man that was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. How it is that we clothe ourselves? I think it says a lot about us. I've heard it said that clothes make the man. Not really. But in an earthly way, they kind of do, don't they? Where your treasures, there will your heart be also. And I think so often people spend their treasure on looking good, on buying the latest fashion 
staying up with the material world as it changes and goes through its everyday fashion change. It seems like it's every day. It's something different. This man was clothed like that. He spent a lot of money, a lot of time, thinking about his outward appearance. But not so much time on his inward. And so we see him clothed there, sitting in purple, a very expensive cloth. It spoke, it's, it's like, it was like driving a little Royce around, having a big gold ring on your finger. Wearing that purple was a big deal. And so he thought a lot about this. And he was clothed in purple and a fine linen, it says, and he fared sumptuously every day. It wasn't just like he had an occasional feast and invited the neighborhood. Every day, every day he saved his flesh and dealt with his worldly appearance in these great banquets that required servants and labor and cooks and chefs and waiters and waitresses and people to attend to him and to his, his vesture and all these things. All this great energy spent, all this great wealth spent, all this great attention and time spent on the outward man and feeding the flesh sumptuously every day. And the great contrast is set before us. So we see the rich to the rich, as it were. We see the billionaire living in splendor and spending all his money on himself. And then we see the great contrast, this beggar, Lazarus. The father said this Lazarus is not the Lazarus that Jesus rose from there, but rather a poor beggar who is well known in Jerusalem, and therefore the parable of the set, using him as an example of what would possibly be. This poor beggar was the poorest of the poor. And not only that, but he was very ill. He had sores covering his body. He was in great pain and affliction. And so his affliction was in poverty and no way to get out of it, no wealth to buy his way to the physician. And there he lay in destitution at the gate. It's such a contrast with this man that had all this wealth. And he lay there not as we would think he did. It said, yes, he desired to eat. That's just a natural thing. But with him, it wasn't a passion to eat. It was just a necessity to eat. He desired the crumbs. He didn't desire the sumptuous fare. He didn't desire to satiate himself. He just desired enough to survive. And there he lay in all his great torment and his pain, full of sores. It's hard to imagine this contrast. This is the worldly perspective. The poor man is poor. He doesn't deserve anything. He got to what his due is. And the rich man is getting what his due is, and he's so worth it. That's the worldly perspective. But, it says this man desired to be fed with crumbs. Even, it's, it's interesting to say even the dogs licked his sores. Animals had more compassion on him than men did. How sad. They had sympathy when men didn't. Just desiring what fell from his table, what the dogs would get normally. This man didn't get Lazarus. This rich man was really certainly comparing himself to himself and finding himself in great splendor in such a great place. But then the next verse lays it all bare. It says it came to pass. Just like that, we pass out of this life. Death may be a long time in coming, but when it comes, it's quick. And this man, it says, died in the angels. This man, Lazarus, died. And the angels took his soul to Abraham's bosom. You see, we see God's evaluation of this poor man in an instant. The angels gathered his soul and took him to a place of blessing. Abraham's bosom representing that great place of rest and peace. The Jews would recognize a holy place, a blessed place. 
This man was poor and destitute and sores, and in the world's eye was nothing. Lower than a beast almost, was elevated and taken by angels, plural, to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died, it says, simply as he was buried. By the way, just as an aside, Orthodox Christians bury their dead. We don't cremate them. We bury our dead. That's just an aside. But this man was buried, and there he was. You see, just as in a theater, people wear masks sometimes. They make themselves into somebody else, and they're really not what they appear to be. So it was that at this point of judgment of these two lives, God strips away the masks of the flesh, of that which is transitory, of that which is not permanent. He strips it away and leaves bare what's important, the soul before God. This is what the Lord did. Poverty and riches are really a mask that cover our earthly form for but a while. But someday that form is stripped away. And then what is apparently real before God becomes manifest. And the destiny of each is determined thereby. The inner man. That view that God has. You know, if you strip away that rich man's mask that you might know, you might, co- you might cover what he has, you might honor him. You strip away the mask. And I wonder if inside you don't find the mesh of the same, quite often the same thing you found in this rich man. And yet behind Lazarus, you might find also the same thing that was in Lazarus. These masks can trick us. Take away the mask and you reveal the conscience, the thoughts of men, the hearts of men. They're invisible to man, but seen by God. And it says that in hell, this man lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing, and making his torment even worse, seeing afar off. Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham in this place of great blessing. That gulf that he could never see before, he saw suddenly. And there he was. The word that's used for hell in our Bibles is a Greek word, haze, which means invisible or unseen. His soul was taken to a place where he was unseen by the flesh. There he was in hell. There's a hell and there's a heaven. These are real places of the soul. They're noetic places. They're not material places. Yes, hell can kind of be on earth at times you use that expression in the, in the horrors of this life sometimes. But really, hell's invisible. It's a spiritual place. And so is heaven. And God is there. But these places are real. As Christians, we cannot deny the reality. There's some today that want to deny that there is such a thing as the reward of heaven. And also... Punishment, not punishment so much as the judgment, the reality of hell. Crying in that place, the man says, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip just the tip of his finger, indicating the minimal amount of work that you could do in a positive sense of your body. And put it on your tongue, which is even a place of even less work, which is even a good word for the Lord can be accounted as a great thing. Well, Abraham said, son, such compassion. You would think he'd say something different. But he said, son, recognizing his biological lineage as a Jew, tied to Abraham, the father of the Jews. But yet, son, there's no mercy for you. You know, 
I think oftentimes we try to think, stepping aside just for a minute, that in life and in death, we can have it all. There's commercials like that, I think. I don't remember what they are. Have it, have, it, have, it, have it your way, I guess. Have it, have it your way all the time. In other words, you can live like you want in this world. And you can have all the great things of life and all the wealth and consume it all upon yourself and coddle your flesh and do all the things that the rich man did. And yet, when you get to the other side of death, it can be just as good. No, my brothers and sisters, poverty or affliction or suffering are things which mold the heart and the soul of a believer. And riches, as God taught the Jews, can be something which lulls us to sleep spiritually. Comfort can lull us to sleep spiritually. God told the Jews, beware, lest when you come into the land and you have plenty, you forget me. And so it is with the soul that's satiated day in and day out with all the things of this life. You have to choose which life you're going to be living for. There really is a choice to be made here. That's why the Orthodox Church stresses the fact that suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it's a condition of life sent by God often for your salvation. But we embrace suffering, and we even, I would say, bring it upon ourselves in the form of fasting. Right? How many days a year do we fast? It's like 175, it's like half the year. There's a lot of like putting ourselves in a place where we have to deny the flesh. We have to look at the inward man and feed the inward man some. And so it is that the church embraces fasting. Long services, like today. And this is going to be shorter than it should be. Long services, almsgiving, be generous, prayer till it hurts. All these things snatch away arrogance and loftiness of soul and bring you to a place where you can live a serious Christian. They're good things. So if you look for just like having it all in this life, be careful. Because in the next life, which is the one that really matters and which goes forever and ever and ever, well, this is just a moment now, you might not have so much. Such a fact, sad thing. Well, anyway, obviously, the sad answer is given to this man about having Lazarus come and relieve his pain and his torments and his suffering is answered by Father Abraham speaking and saying, there's a great gulf fixed between us so that they which would come over from one side to the other can't. You know, I think there's so many false ideas of spiritual life in the afterworld. One is that disembodied spirits walk the earth. No, they don't. Demons do. But your soul at the moment of death is taken to a place of refreshment or a place of not refreshment. And so it is that when you're there, you're there. It's forever. There's a great gulf fixed there. What is that great gulf? Caused by. It's caused by there's no more chance to repent. Repentance is no longer possible on the other side. Repentance is a thing of this life. The time is over and past. When you reach the other side of this life, there's no opportunity for repentance. No opportunity to change the state of your soul. For what the body and the soul do together, they'll ultimately reap together fully in the resurrection. But the soul begins to taste it at the moment of death. And so it is. The time for repentance is over. The gulf is fixed. And there it is. But you know, hearing that, he accepted that. 
against the reality of his condition, spoke to him that there really was no escape. He put himself in a place. God allowed him to live with a will, created in the image and likeness of God, and he read in the service of baptism. God gave us the freedom. He gave us an opportunity to love him, to choose to love him, which is the only true love. Instead, we get went the way we want. Looking around him, we understood that he was in a place that was fixed. But then he said something that's so great. He said, pray. I pray, Father. I pray thee, Father Abraham, you'd send somebody like Lazarus to my brother's house. You know, send him there. This verse says a lot. There's a lot of orthodox theology in this. As I meditated upon this, I was awestruck. When you die, you're still going to have a consciousness of this world and all that was in it. And all the people that were in it. And you know, the great thing is that love is not conquered by death. Jesus still loves you. He's eternal. His love has not ceased. We know that, right? He's coming back. The same with your brothers and sisters in the faith that passed on before you. Your parents in the faith. Your brothers and sisters in the faith. The family of your church that pray on the other side. They're alive and they care. Even this man cared, who in this life had no care. He now cares. He's praying, he's crawling out. Send someone to my brothers. There's still five of them left for the chance. But the answer is not that somebody from the dead needs to rise, but that they hear the Holy Scripture. And the rich man is cast down because he knows they won't listen to the Scripture, just like he didn't listen to it. He heard it probably week in and week out. He was a wealthy Jew. He probably frolicked with, the, with those in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees. He knew what the scripture said that went in one ear and out the other. And his brothers were going to be the same way. And he was hoping some sort of divine miracle would change their mind. But Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. There's nothing more powerful than Moses, the prophets, the Lord's words, the apostles' words. There's nothing more powerful. You might delude yourself into thinking that some great miracle will change your life. Sometimes it changes our direction. You have to grant that. But ultimately our faith is based on God's words. The words of what the prophets have said. The words what the apostles wrote. The words that have come down to us from the Lord Jesus himself. It's here where our faith must rest. For it's scripture, the holy truths of God, the immutable, unchangeable words of the Lord. Applied to your heart by the Holy Spirit that have the power to save you. Miracles can come and go. Miracles may be there, they may not be. I've seen a few, but it really hasn't changed my faith much. And it wouldn't have changed the faith of these men, the brothers, the five brothers. The cry was there. The prayer was there by those on the other side of the divide. But there's some things that God won't do. And it wouldn't be our interest if he did do it. But he's given us the word of God so that we might be able to be saved and understand through faith the truths that God is God. That there's a heaven, there's a hell. That your soul matters more than your body. That your earthly condition is transitory but your eternal one is not. And so God calls us through his word to faith in him and then to follow him. So, what's our conclusion if we leave this parable behind? So much that could be said. Well, I think the thing is this. The really important thing about your life is what you really are. Not what the mask might show. Not what you might look like. 
Not what I might think you are. As your priest or your pastor. But what God thinks you are. What are you really? What does God know you are? I guess is the way we could put it. See, our spiritual state of being matters to God a lot. And you know what? It matters to us too. It really matters who we are. The orthodox faith, I will say this and I will proclaim this for my dying day, is the antithesis of nominalism. Nominalism is calling something something, but it's not real. What we teach is that salvation is not what you say about yourself. Not what you think about yourself, but what God thinks about yourself. And so our name in ourselves, Christians or not, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, and will say to Papa, I knew you not, you workers of iniquity. By your fruits you know them. And God knows your fruit. God can see into our hearts. He sees into my heart. That's a frightening thing. But God's calling us to spiritual reality. One of the saints read that very great passage. It's very brief. And I won't read, read it, but I'll just summarize it by this. He said this about this rich man. The rich man, when he lived on this earth, maybe like us, lived consumed by the material world. He had no concern for spiritual life. And therefore, he was spiritually dead. He had no spiritual life. So when he died, there was nothing spiritual about him. He sat there and he experienced, as it were in a dream, the horrors of being separated from God for eternity. Because as a material person, he was trapped in a material mindset while living in a spiritual realm. There was no ability to escape what he was, the point of his death. He was a material person. So we need to remember something. If we're spiritual in this life, and not by what I think you are, or even what I think I am, or what you think you are, what does God know we are? If we're spiritual people in this life, if we are attached to Jesus Christ in this life, if we obey God, we love God, we serve God, we are God's children, truly, then God accepts us and we can live and dwell with him for eternity. But if we go out of this world with no spiritual life in us, there is no hope for us to change that destiny. For where the spiritual world realm is, and we're not ready for it, we can't exist properly. Instead, we're tortured as it were by our distance from spiritual life. So, let us set our affection on things above, not on things of this earth. This life is brief. And let us evaluate our life, evaluate our life as God sees it. Hopefully God can help us with our dimness of wit to see ourselves as we really are, as he sees us. Might he open us, our hearts and our souls, to the reality of who we are before him. And might we fall down before him in worship and in love and service for the rest of our lives so that when we pass out of this life, we can enjoy the eternal good things at Abraham's bosom, which is God's bosom, forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can listen to more sermons and learn more about us by visiting our website at orthodoxmaine.org. Thank you for listening, and until next time, God be with you.